0: It is Thursday, the 12th of October, the Feast of Blessed Carlo Acutis. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, you accompanied your doubting disciples on the road to Emmaus. Sustain your church in our daily journey of faith. You do not disappoint those who hope in your mercy. Remember that we are slow to believe and strengthen our faith. You guide those who walk in darkness. Teach your paths to all who seek the road to life. O God, you are our guide and guard along life's paths. Lead us in the ways of justice and love. Righteousness and peace. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. World without end. Amen. Blessed Carlo Acutis, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along here on a Thursday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Ackman at the controls. Travis has got our feed up and running. and You can access it through the show notes at SunriseMorningShow.com if you want to watch the Sunrise Morning Show this morning. We've been going through a a work of St. Albert the Great with Father Robert Nixon. Today we're going to talk more about humility. Uh, He'll be on with us live from Australia. Brendan Hodge will look at abortion statistics in Ohio ahead of the big vote on Issue 1 this November. Father Patrick Briscoe has thoughts on Blessed Carlo Acutis this morning. He recently uh, got to give a talk about blessed carlo and carlo's mom was in the congregation so we'll talk to him about how that went and uh, many of you either know somebody or perhaps you have been in a case where you struggled with depression and pastoral counselor kevin prendergast has some thoughts from a catholic perspective on how to address that so please do stay with us if you can right now it is two minutes past the hour here's anna mitchell with news
1: Good morning. The White House is confirming at least 22 Americans were killed and 17 are missing following Hamas's attack on Israel. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said those numbers could rise, and a number of Americans are also being held hostage by the Palestinian militant group Hamas. Kirby said the administration is doing all it can to try to locate missing Americans. Pope Francis, meanwhile, has called on Hamas to release all of the hostages they've taken. Speaking to thousands at his weekly general audience yesterday, the Holy Father said Israel did have a right to defend itself. Still, the Pope said he was very worried by the total siege that Israel has placed on the Gaza Strip, where there have been so many innocent victims. More than 2,000 people have been killed in this conflict so far, and Hamas is believed to be holding around 150 hostages. Pope Francis said the Middle East does not need war, but peace, a peace built on justice, on dialogue, and on the courage to be fraternal. The Holy Father also appealed for solidarity for the people of Afghanistan, who are suffering after several earthquakes in the past week. From Vatican Radio, Francesca
2: Merlo reports. In his appeal, Pope Francis expressed concern for the Afghan people, highlighting the immense human toll that these natural disasters have caused, with thousands of lives lost, including a significant number of women and children. The Pope also acknowledged the plight of the displaced persons who have been left in the wake of this calamity. <laughs> I address a special thought to the people of Afghanistan who are suffering in the aftermath of the devastating earthquake that has struck, causing thousands of victims, including many women and children and displaced persons, the Pope said in his appeal. An earthquake, which struck on the 8th of October, had a magnitude of 7.6 on the Richter scale, making it a significant and destructive seismic event. It occurred in the northern region of the country, near the Hindu Kush mountain range, causing widespread devastation. The quake's epicenter was located in a remote and mountainous area, which has further complicated relief efforts. Many villages in the vicinity were either severely damaged or completely obliterated. This disaster has left thousands of people dead, injured or missing, and it has forced countless others to flee their homes in search of safety. Urgent humanitarian aid is needed for food, clean water, medical supplies and shelter. On Wednesday, another 6.3 magnitude earthquake shook western Afghanistan in Herat province. Pope Francis has called upon everyone to unite and contribute to the relief and recovery efforts in Afghanistan. I invite all people of goodwill to help this people already so sorely tried, contributing in a spirit of fraternity to alleviate the suffering of the people and to support the necessary reconstruction.
3: The necessary reconstruction.
2: I am Francesca Merlo.
1: The United Auto Workers' strike is adding more members to the picket lines. The union tweeted yesterday that 8,700 members at Ford's Kentucky truck plant are joining the strike after Ford, quote, refused to make further movement in bargaining, end quote. Large F-series pickups are made at this plant, which are one of Ford's more profitable vehicles. Union workers have been picketing against Ford, GM, and Stellantis for more than a month now. Meanwhile, talks between Hollywood Studios and actor the Actors Union are suspended after negotiations broke down yesterday. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which represents the studio's Says the two sides are just still too far apart. The strike has been going on for three months now. In Washington, House Republicans are nominating Majority Leader Steve Scalise to be the next Speaker of the House. Mark Mayfield reports.
4: The Louisiana lawmaker secured the nomination 113 to 99 in a closed door Republican conference meeting yesterday, defeating Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan. Scalise will now take his candidacy to the House floor, where he'll need to win the support of the majority of the chamber control of the gavel. This comes after Kevin McCarthy was ousted from the speaker's chair last week. I'm Mark Mayfield.
1: And the Major League Baseball postseason continued yesterday. The Arizona Diamondbacks completed a three-game sweep of the Los Angeles Dodgers with a 4-2 victory in Game 3 of the NLDS at Chase Field. Arizona is advancing to its first NLCS appearance since 2007. In Minnesota, the reigning champion Houston Astros punched their ticket to the ALCS for the seventh straight year with a 3-2 win over the Twins at Target Field. The Astros will now take on AL West rival Texas Rangers in the ALCS. Another action, the Philadelphia Phillies trounced the Atlanta Braves 10-2 at Citizens Bank Park. The Braves will visit the Phillies for Game 4 of the NLDS today.
0: It's going to be an intense one. A lot of superstars in that Phillies and Braves mm-hmm. matchup.
5: Yeah.
0: A lot of future superstars on that Diamondbacks team.
1: I am amazed by this. I don't know. I just did not expect the Dodgers to be swept.
0: Well, you know, the problem is, is with the Dodgers. They're one of those big market teams, and uh, there's certain – Elements who want to see, like, the, the really, really big market teams go all the way so you can get, like, the really, really big market money and big market views. Mm-hmm. I remember, uh, well, it's one of those things where, unfortunately, whenever the Dodgers lose, people spend less time talking about how great the Diamondbacks did and, you know, more time more talking time about what the, what the Dodgers need to do next season.
1: Well, the Diamondbacks— like, can't we
0: talk about the Diamondbacks?
1: The Diamondbacks need to be humble.
0: They need to be humble. Well, they got, like, rookie of the year on their team.
1: If they're truly humble— then they would be okay with this.
0: Is this a segue to Father Nixon's segment? It's
1: totally a segue to
0: Father Nixon's segment. It's a good one. <laughs> Pride goeth before a fall.
1: Indeed. Indeed. As we will soon find out.
0: As we have already found out.
1: Today today is Thursday, October the 12th. It is the Feast of Blessed Carlo Acutis. Pray for us. More on him a little later this hour. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Robert Nixon. He's a Benedictine at New Norcia in Australia and translator of the Tan Resurrection Series. We are going through the book, The Paradise of the Soul, 42 Virtues to Reach Heaven by St. Albert the Great. Father Nixon, welcome back.
6: Thank you very much, Eddie. It's great to be with you today to talk about this very important virtue.
1: Yes. So today we are on to the second virtue that Albert highlights in this book. We started with love, which makes sense. Then one might expect faith or hope to be next, right? Because you think of faith, hope and love. Um, But he chooses humility. Why is that?
6: Um, I think he chooses humility very wisely. Because although uh, faith, hope and love are the theological virtues, the very first sin, uh, the origin of sin, is pride. Mm. And humility is what so powerfully counteracts pride. And so humility is a solid basis on which all of the other virtues can can grow and flourish in, in a, in a uh, solid type of way. But without humility, it's very difficult for any of the virtues, uh, other virtues, really to develop properly and to have their proper effect.
1: Such a good point. So how does St. Albert describe true humility? I have to admit, it was kind of hard to swallow.
6: (laughs) Yes. Um, So he says that true humility uh, does not desire to be recognized for what it is. So uh, this, I think, is very interesting. Um, he he goes on to say that it prefers not to receive praise or approval because it knows that all glory and honor belongs to God. In a way, for a person to be treated as unexceptional is a sign of true humility. Um, if a person, if, if they're always being noticed, if other people are always noticing how humble someone is, then it could well be a sign that the humility is is being worn for show rather than being genuine so true humility is the humility that people don't notice
1: and this sounds so difficult the way that he the way that he describes this or encourages us to to take on humility to even Reject any praise that you aren't even necessarily seeking.
6: Yeah. Yeah. Well, now this is interesting because he says the humble person feels saddened when he hears himself being praised. Knowing, now I I think that's actually different from rejecting the praise because I think rejecting praise can actually sometimes, you know, draw attention to it, Mm -hmm. Um, draw attention to humility. If someone says you did a fantastic job and you say, oh, no, no, it was nothing at all. Okay, that's different from not taking a great deal of joy in the fact that you're praised. Does that make sense that there is, a, there is an actual slight difference between rejecting praise and not um, being, uh, being elated at receiving praise? So I think we don't need to reject it. But at the same time, if we prefer not to be praised than to be praised, that's a good thing. That's a sign of true humility.
1: Would it be appropriate to say thank you if you are praised? I mean, this is yeah, where I, I, I sat here I, thinking, I, like, I, how I do
6: think, I do this? Yeah, pull yeah, yeah, I, I, well, thank you is actually the best way of accepting praise. Mm. Um, because when we reject the praise or argue against it, we're actually prolonging the discussion of, of the praise, of how, mm. how worthy we are. Of praise. Or if we go on about it, oh, thank you, you know, and then you talk about it. But a, a simple thank you, I think, is is the very best way because it involves a, a certain humility. You're accepting what the other person has said, um, but you're not dwelling on it. You're kind of moving on. So thank you, and then you can move on to something else, which I think is is the very best approach.
1: So what are the signs of someone who may, well, I mean, I think all of us probably recognize that we want to be humble and we try to be humble, but what are the signs that we have an inner pride?
6: So um, he mentions one particular sign of inner pride where we, we place ourselves mentally before others or we expect to be placed before others. Um, even if we don't make a big show about it or a point of it, um, within our hearts, we expect that to take place. Uh, That's a, a very dangerous form of inner pride. He also says that a proud person can be recognized by their flamboyant style of clothing, a grinning facial expression, and a swaggering gait. Now, that's very interesting. That, I think, is typical of medieval thought. They believed that whatever a person's character was came through in the way that they walk and spoke and bore themselves in general. Um, I I think there's an element of truth in that. Probably not, um, it's probably not an infallible guide as to someone's character. But I think uh, Albert the Great, um, with his scientific approach to life, he really believed that, that these external signs gave away a person's character.
1: I mean, this is kind of, or at least one of the reasons that, that you, for instance, as a Benedictine monk, wear a habit, right?
6: That, that is, uh, that's exactly so. And so the habit is, you know, it looks the same for everyone. We're all wearing exactly the same habit. And um, it means we don't have a choice each day about, you know, what our set of clothes is going to be. Mm -hmm. So we don't distinguish between our taste in clothes or how much money we've got to spend on clothes, but we just wear the same thing. And it's deliberately um, of a subdued color. In our case, it's black with other orders. It's white or brown, but it's never, uh, you know, a bright or showy type of thing.
1: And finally, Father, I mean, we, we talk about how this could be difficult to foster in our own lives in the way that St. Albert describes it, but then he invites us to, well, think about God.
6: <laughs> yeah, and and I think thinking about God um, is the basis of true humility. So um, the humility where we're thinking about ourselves and, you know, our own shortcomings and so forth. That's a kind of humility, but a, a deeper and better form of humility arises from our focus purely being on God. And he says we don't need to compare ourselves with other people. We don't need to turn our gaze to ourself, but turn our gaze to the goodness and the glory of God. And then our own humility will follow that as a natural uh, outcome.
1: God, who is humility incarnate i mean it is unreal thinking about the lord the creator of heaven and earth becoming human the ultimate ultimate humility we've been talking to father robert nixon the book is called the paradise of the soul by saint albert the great you can find it from tan books in their resurrection series and also linked at sunrise Morningshow.com. father thank you so much
6: Thank you, Eddie. God bless you, and God bless all your listeners.
1: Thank you, Father. You too. All right, it's 17 past. We're back with headlines right after this.
6: Central Fabricators is proud to
7: support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective, while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com.
2: Are you looking for peace?
8: Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world work for the new evangelization, go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved
9: by the USCCB.
0: We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee.
1: That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at SunriseMorningShow.com, you earn us a commission.
0: While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store.
1: Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk coffee at S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com.
9: The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. Human beings are God's greatest masterpiece. Every person is made in the image and likeness
10: of God. But every saint, that is every person who accepts God's invitation, his upward call to make them holy. And so every story presents us with a unique masterpiece
0: that God is writing.
3: The Journey Home, tonight, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Radio and Television.
0: Hey, I know that. I know that theme music. That's the theme music for the other show I work on. Is that tonight? No, it's not tonight. Monday night. It's Monday night. Monday night. We got a good one. Catherine Whitaker's on on Monday night. You know her. Nice. Here's Anna with headlines.
1: The White House is confirming at least 22 Americans were killed and 17 are missing following Hamas's attack on Israel. Pope Francis, during his general audience yesterday, called on Hamas to release all of the hostages they've taken in this conflict. And in his general audience catechesis, the Holy Father focused on St. Josephine Paquita as an exemplar of apostolic zeal.
0: News at the top and bottom of each hour, every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. You know, I was reading through the first reading at Mass uh, this morning from Malachi chapter 3. And uh, it says in around verse 17, They shall be mine, said the Lord of hosts, my own special possession on the day when I take action. Uh, In some translations, and you'll see this a few other places in the scripture, where uh, that'll be translated as a peculiar people.
1: A peculiar Peculiar people. people,
0: Which peculiar in uh, today's vernacular means weird or strange. But it comes from a word that has to do with like cattle and was usually a way of saying, this cattle is specifically mine. It is not your cattle.
1: Oh, interesting. So we're like branded.
0: So, peculiar means a something that is uniquely possessed by one particular person. Hmm. So I like that. If you hear peculiar, it doesn't just mean weird. It originally meant belonging specifically to one person. So you're a peculiar person. You belong to God. 21 past
11: to the Sunrise Morning Show. Well, imagine promoting your business right here to other listeners of the Sunrise Morning Show. You'll reach like-minded folk across the nation on over 300 radio stations, each of those stations with thousands and thousands of listeners, not to mention all the people who listen on Sirius Satellite and our online app. Find out more about national underwriting of the Sunrise Morning Show by emailing me, leah, at sacredheartradio.com. L-E-A-H at sacredheartradio.com.
12: I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. Paul's letters include the names of many church members in many places. Paul's letter to the Romans, for example, mentions some 25 men and women known well to him. This suggests that there were very close bonds between Paul and the churches of his day. One person to whom Paul was close was a man with the name Epiphras. This curious name means charming or favored. From what we know of this figure from Paul's letter to Philemon, the name seems to fit. Epaphras was one of Paul's close associates. The apostle describes him in his letter as, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Epaphras was apparently a prominent figure in the church at Colossae. In fact, from Paul's remarks in chapter 1, verse 7 of his letter to the Colossians, it was the preaching of Epaphras that planted the seed for the church in that city it may make us wonder what seeds for good we could plant in the communities we serve. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Timothy Scheer.
1: Brendan Hodge joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is Darwin from the Darwin Catholic blog. He's author of If You Can Get It, a novel from a and is a contributing editor to The Pillar as well. Good morning, Brendan.
7: Good morning. Good to be on with you.
1: It is good to have you back. And the Ohio Department of Health recently released the 2022 abortion report for the state and uh, wanted to talk to you about this to get some of the data from there as Ohio is looking ahead to the November election with issue one, which if passed would enshrine a right to abortion in the state constitution. And um, yeah, I think some of these numbers will have some, I don't know, some force in terms of um, how people look at what is at stake in Ohio. So what was the total for the year in terms of abortions in Ohio in 2022? And how does that compare to recent years in the state?
7: So in Ohio in 2022, there were 18,488, abortions. That represents an abortion rate of 7.8 abortions per 1,000 reproductive-age women, and that actually represents a significant decrease, an 18% decrease from the previous year in 2021 when there were more than 20,000 abortions. Um, Ohio, like a lot of the country, has seen a trend over um, sort of over the long period that abortions increased rapidly in the 1970s, peaked in 1982, and then kind of went on a long, slow decline. So you could see the efforts of pro life laws and pro life culture in Ohio to reduce abortions from a high of just over 45,000 in 1982, when of course there were also fewer people in Ohio. So that, that was a much higher abortion rate down to about 20,000 in the last. 10 years since 2012. And then uh, what we saw last year is that there was a drop from that uh, 20,000 number to 18,000.
1: Now, Ohio's heartbeat law went into effect the day that Roe v. Wade was overturned. So, June 24th, 2022, the Ohio Attorney General got a judge to unblock. The heartbeat law that had been on the books for I don't remember how long, but obviously could not go into effect with with Roe being the law of the land. So it was in effect from June 24th until September 14th when a judge blocked it, claiming that it was against the Ohio Constitution. Now, um, I know the abortion report doesn't uh, break this down month by month, so I guess we can't really say this for sure, Brendan, but... Do you think it's likely that this huge drop um, from 2021 to 2022 um, could at least in part be due to the heartbeat law?
7: I do think that that would make a lot of sense. Uh, there aren't really a lot of other factors that we would see which would cause such a dramatic change. And one thing that does stand out is um, the report does break down the number of abortions by the point in pregnancy. So mm. it did, it looks at the difference between abortions that took place before nine weeks, nine to 12 weeks, 13 to 18 weeks, 19 to 20, and then 21 plus. And what we see is that there was a significantly larger decrease in those later term abortions, so abortions after nine weeks, whereas there was a fairly small decrease in abortions before nine weeks. Mm. So I think that we were seeing that heartbeat bill come into effect and significantly reduce the number of abortions later in the pregnancy while having an effect, but less of an effect on the number of abortions in those first nine weeks.
1: And this is significant because if issue one in Ohio were to fail, which means that abortion would not be enshrined in the Ohio Constitution, presumably a judge would not be able to continue blocking the heartbeat law any further so um that could go into effect and presumably see another large decrease in the amount of abortions in ohio do you think
13: yes yes precisely
1: so could you talk more about the number of abortions that were performed um on out of state residents i think this also significant uh given that indiana and kentucky um, both have abortion bans, so there would be uh, women coming in from out of state, presumably in Ohio.
7: Yes, that's that's an interesting thing that we see here. So when we look at the abortions performed on Ohio residents, uh, those went down from 20,700 to 17,200, so a drop of 3,500. However, when we look at the number of abortions performed on out-of-state residents, those actually increased in 2022 by about 200. So they went from 1,100 to 1,300. Probably what we are seeing there is that uh, an additional 200 women came in from out-of-state in order to receive abortions in Ohio.
1: Mm. Uh, Just quickly, Brendan, anything else that that stands out in this report to you um, in light of Issue 1 coming up next month?
7: I think the other thing that really stands out here is the importance of providing pro-life support to women in pregnancy. the yeah. By far the largest number of women who received abortions were unmarried women in their 20s who already had one or two children and were not using any kind of contraception when they got pregnant. Wow. So those are the people who are needing help, and those are people who don't have a lot of support in society. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Well, Brendan Hodge, really appreciate you looking into this. We've got the Darwin Catholic blog linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. And you can find all of our guests linked on a daily basis at com. Click on the show notes for the day. That's also where after the show, you can find our podcast with little markers if you would like to share, for instance— that interview with brendan just now you can go in click on the marker for brendan hodge click share and then there's a little little time stamp that you can check and copy the link for that you can send people directly to any of the interviews son rise morning half past the hour now on the sunrise morning show it's time for news U.S. lawmakers are asking the Biden administration to freeze $6 billion in Iranian assets during Israel's war with Hamas. The funds were unfrozen last month as part of a prisoner exchange with Iran. Senate Republicans and some Democrats are now calling on the administration to put those funds on hold again following the attack on Israel, saying there is a risk the money could be used to help fund Hamas. Meanwhile, the president has said the U.S. is doing everything it can to bring Americans taken hostage by Hamas home. Mark Mayfield reports.
4: That's what President Biden told a roundtable of Jewish leaders at the White House Wednesday while speaking on the war. He added that the U.S. is committed to ensuring Israel has what it needs to defend itself. The president called the Hamas attack on Israel over the weekend the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust. At least 22 Americans have been killed in the conflict and 17 are missing. It's not clear at this time how many Americans are being held hostage. I'm Mark Mayfield.
1: The war between Israel and Hamas is now on day five, and the fighting has left more than 2,200 people dead. Israel's ground forces are getting ready near the Gaza border, and one Israeli spokesperson said the fighting is only going to intensify. Meanwhile, Pope Francis has called on Hamas to release all of the hostages that they have taken. Hamas is believed to be holding around 150 of them. The Pope said, quote, terrorism and extremism do not help to reach a solution to the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians, but fuel hatred, violence, and revenge, causing suffering to both sides. Also during his general audience yesterday, the Holy Father prayed for the victims of the earthquakes in Afghanistan. He said, I invite all people of goodwill to help this people already so sorely tried Contributing in a a spirit of fraternity to alleviate the suffering of the people and to support the necessary reconstruction. For his general audience catechesis, the Holy Father continued his series on saints who exemplify apostolic zeal, focusing this time on St. Josephine Bakhita. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellano-Luboff reports.
14: St. Josephine Bakhita, with her example, Pope Francis says, shows us the way to finally be free of our slavery and fears, to unmask our hypocrisies and selfishness, to reconcile with ourselves and find peace in our families and communities, and offers us a light of hope in these difficult times of mistrust and distrust of others. Recalling the saint's origins in martyred Sudan, he said, Sadly, for months, Sudan has been torn apart by a terrible armed conflict, about which little is said today. Let us pray for the Sudanese people that they may live in peace. In spite of unspeakable suffering, the Holy Father insisted, Saint Paquita's fame crossed all borders and reached all those who were denied identity and dignity as he urged faithful to be inspired by the powerful witness of Saint Paquita. Born in Darfur, Sudan, the Pope recalled Josephine was kidnapped as a child and sold into slavery. Despite the violence and terrible sufferings she endured, he observed, she never despaired. The Holy Father recalled how the crucifix sustained her, noting that one day she was given a small crucifix and she, who had never possessed anything, kept it as a treasure. In Christ's cross, the Holy Father suggested she discovered the source of a merciful love that affirms our innate dignity as God's children, brings true freedom, and enables us to forgive and indeed love those who wrong us. The life of St. Josephine Makita, he remembered reveals the power of God's grace to transform lives, to resolve conflicts, and to bring about justice, reconciliation, and peace so greatly needed in our time. Pope Francis concluded by encouraging faithful to join him in entrusting ourselves to her prayers and asking especially for the gift of peace for our brothers and sisters in war-torn Sudan. I'm Deborah Castellano-Lubov.
1: House Republicans are nominating Majority Leader Steve Scalise to be the next Speaker of the House. The Louisiana lawmaker secured the nomination 113-99 in a closed-door Republican conference meeting, defeating Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan. Scalise will now take his candidacy to the House floor, where he will need to win the support of the majority of the chamber to take control of the gavel this coming after Kevin McCarthy was ousted from the speaker's chair last week the United Auto Workers strike is adding more members to the picket lines the union tweeted yesterday that 8700 members at Ford's Kentucky truck plant are joining the strike after Ford said they say refused to make further movement in the bargaining that's the news
11: it's 35 past
5: the
11: you listen to the sunrise morning show well imagine promoting your business right here to other listeners of the sunrise morning show you'll reach like-minded folk across the nation on over 300 radio stations each of those stations with thousands and thousands of listeners not to mention all the people who listen on sirius satellite and our online app Find out more about national underwriting of the Sunrise Morning Show by emailing me, Leah at sacredheartradio.com. L E A H at sacredheartradio.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, leah at sacredheartradio.com. That's leah at sacredheartradio.com.
15: I am Dominican Father Paul Keller, Please pray with me the prayer to Saint Anthony. Blessed be God in his angels and in his saints. O holy Saint Anthony, gentlest of saints, your love for God and charity for his creatures made you worthy, when on earth, to possess miraculous powers. Miracles waited on your word, which you were ever ready to speak for those in trouble or anxiety. Encouraged by this thought, I implore of you to obtain for me this request. The answer to my prayer may require a miracle. Even so, you are the saint of miracles. O gentle and loving St. Anthony, whose heart was ever full of human sympathy, whisper my petition into the ears of the sweet infant Jesus, who loved to be folded in your arms, and the gratitude of my heart will ever be yours. Amen.
0: Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Patrick Briscoe from Our Sunday Visitor, and you can find him linked at osb.com. We've got him put up there at sunrisemorningshow.com as well. Father Briscoe, how are you? Hey, good morning, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Great to be with you. Let's talk about, blessed uh, Carlo acutus and you've got some interesting connections here to explore and share with us this morning. Tell us about that.
16: As you're pointing out, it's just such a great month for saints, and one of the the saints that we're going to celebrate on October 12th is Blessed Carlo Acutis, and if you haven't heard of Blessed Carlo, uh, let me just tell you, there is so much about his life that is truly extraordinary. Blessed Carlo is the first millennial to be on the path to sainthood, so I, uh, I feel very connected to Blessed Carlo just because of that fact alone, you know, this is the guy who's coming up from my generation. But I remember back in high school when Blessed Carlo launched his website on Eucharistic Miracles. It was the kind of thing that was being talked about, and my um, my catechism teacher actually knew about it and referred to it. And so I was on Blessed Carlo's website, you know, thousands of miles away while he was working on it. So uh, so blessed. Car- part of Blessed Carlo's story is that he was a, a computer geek. He was really, really into tech. He knew a lot about coding and... Uh, and really had a, had a true expertise there, and he used that interest to make catechetical websites in the early 2000s, which was you know groundbreaking stuff 20 years.
0: When you think about what people do to make websites now, I mean, you can go on some page builder, and you know, you can know next to nothing about the internet and get on Canva and make cool graphics and uh, you know, have your own little homepage and GoFundMe or whatever it is that you want to do. And Carlo was coding, man. He was doing like the original stuff, uh, which is pretty cool. My wife and I actually did a short um, bio about Carlo for uh, Ligory Publications back. Uh, it's been, gosh, I guess it's been like two years now. And it's just fascinating to see all the layers of relatability with Carlo, I think um, he sort of breaks down this sense that you know if you're going to be a person serious about the Catholic faith and living the sacraments, then you can't have any fun or live a normal life. When in fact, uh, here's a kid who was into soccer. Here's a kid who played video games. A kid who you know was trying to figure out how to do uh, do okay in class. Uh, you know, wanted to hang out with his friends, liked to eat gelato. Like, you can be a person who's kind of normal and live the sacramental life, and be a holy person at the same time. I know this doesn't, this shouldn't sound crazy, but I think for some of us it does feel like weird that a normal person could be a saint.
16: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, part part of the reason why Carlo feels so close to us is he's, he's close to us in time, but he's close to us by by, dis, by disposition, like you're suggesting. I, I, I had the occasion, actually, um Monday of last week to preach to Blessed Carlo's mother during a mass at Catholic University of America about Blessed Carlo, which was pretty, which was pretty wild. So uh, You talk about having me. a
0: fact checker in the audience. My goodness. Yeah, exactly.
16: It was certainly, it was certainly, I was certainly a little nervous for that reason. But, but, um, but being so devoted to Blessed Carlo, I was more excited than anything else. And it was the feast of guardian angels. He had a great emotion as a guardian angel He'd as you know, so so that was an added gift of providence. So I had something easy to say there, but uh, but it's the case that uh, the Blessed Carlo was fully alive. That's what everyone testifies to. That's what his mother says. That's what his parish priest says. That this this was a boy that, that was just living. That was living life. That was living life to the full. And it was that it was that that made him so. Um, so appealing to people. I mean, he wasn't holier than thou. He was never judgmental. He often defended classmates when they were being made fun of or, or excluded. And um, so he was known for, for being generous. And, and he was okay with the times that being faithful, the times that uh, really living the faith ostracized him. And he lived those moments, those moments well, um, never betraying the church, never betraying what he thought was
0: right. Yeah, little things um that I discovered as I was putting together his story. Like when some of his classmates would make, you know, disrespectful comments about the girls at the pool or whatever, he'd be like, Hey guys, uh, that's not cool <laughs> You know, I mean it wasn't that's not how you say it in Italian. But he would I mean he would stand up for those little moral opportunities, those little moral moments. Um there's another story that I found about how he had walked all, all the way up the hill in C.Z. to go buy a gelato and got halfway down the hill in the middle of the summer and realized they'd uh, given him too much change back. So he walked all the way back up the hill and uh, gave back the change. These are not like massive decisions, right? These are not like massive heroic moments of martyrdom, but they do take a little bit of effort, man, a little bit of virtue, a little bit of, uh, you know, you trying to make the right thing when the easy thing would be right in front of you, which is to just let it go and live your life. But, but he took those opportunities.
16: Yeah, that's exactly right. Pursuing virtue. And, and that that was huge for Blessed Carlo. And he did so intentionally. I think that, that a lot of us are tempted to just kind of hope that if we bumble along, we'll live a good enough life. Uh, but that wasn't the way that Blessed Carlo lived. You know, he, he was very intentional about pursuing virtue and about growing uh, always in the spiritual life and, and the way that he lived. And so it was that kind of. Uh, it was that that sense of determination, really, that, that drove really that drove him um, in pursuit of holiness.
0: So, after giving that you know little exposition on the life of Carlo, did you get to actually talk to his mom? Did she review you? Did she did she tell you how how it went? Or?
16: <laughs> oh, yes, we uh, we spent quite a bit of time together. Actually, we walked across campus and then attended a dinner. And uh, in that conversation, I asked her, you know, a number of questions. But but uh, but my favorite was I asked her if she had a favorite Eucharistic miracle. And she started to say, because of course, Pastor Carla was very devoted to spreading the word about Eucharistic miracles, right? And she started to say, well, Luciano, because it's the original. And then she paused and she said, no, actually, Sokoka, because, because of the heart tissue, she thought it was so beautiful that, that that Eucharistic was transformed into the heart of Christ. So I was very moved by that.
0: Well, thanks so much, Father Patrick Briscoe from Our Sunday Visitor. You can find him linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. And we'll be talking a little bit more about the uh, book that my wife and I wrote on Carlo Acutis. It's a booklet. It's not that big. Uh, But we found some really cool, fun stuff um, that I did not know before. And, uh, yeah, we'll discuss some of those details coming up here uh, around this time next hour. Right now, it is 16 minutes before the hour. Pastoral Counselor Kevin Prendergast joins us coming up next to talk about addressing depression from a Catholic perspective. Back after this. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available.
12: For more than 150 years, the Kamboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founders and Daniel Comboni as an inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at combonimissionaries.org. That is combonimissionaries.org.
0: It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy.
1: And when you go to the monks through SunriseMorningShow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy.
0: Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store.
1: Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through SunriseMorningShow.com.
4: He is honored as a Doctor of the Church and the so-called Pillar of Faith. Matthew
11: Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church.
4: St. Cyril of Alexandria was Patriarch of Alexandria and is famed for his defense of the Blessed Mother's title Theotokos, God-bearer, at the Council of Ephesus in 431 against an historian heretics who denied the union of Christ's human and divine natures. For that, he is called Doctor of the Incarnation.
11: To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism.
0: 14 till here's Anna with headlines.
1: The White House is confirming at least 22 Americans were killed and 17 currently missing following Hamas's attack on Israel this weekend. Pope Francis during his general audience yesterday called on Hamas to release all of the hostages they have taken. And in his general audience catechesis, continued his series on saints who exemplify apostolic zeal, focusing this time on St. Josephine Paquita.
0: News at the top and bottom of each hour, every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, did I tell you that, uh, you know, when I was at the Bible Museum, they have like this thing on uh, various ways that... You know, Catholic principles, or I'm sorry, Christian principles, biblical principles have affected various things in the world.
1: Sure. Okay. And they
0: had a Freedom from Slavery exhibit. And you can see it from, like, the lobby through, like, a big old window on the second floor. They got this massive, like, five-foot-tall sign of, like, St. Josephine Bakita up there.
1: Wow. I was like,
0: what is St. Josephine Bakita cool. doing at this Protestant museum? But it's ecumenical. It's ecumenical. ecumenical. I was glad to see her there.
1: That's great. That's great. Anyway. Glad to hear it. She's a good one.
0: She is a very good one. Very, very good one. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swain, joined now by pastoral counselor Kevin Prendergast. He is a licensed counselor with decades of experience, uh, both as a seminary instructor, also in private practice. Kevin, good morning.
13: Hey, good morning, Matt.
0: All right, I'm glad we're talking about depression, and we've talked about it a number of times before because this is one of those things where a lot of people can self-diagnose or mm-hmm. take something temporary and assume it's permanent, or mm-hmm. can diminish it when they really do have it and not do anything about it. So <laughs> how common, really, yeah. at the end of the day, is depression?
13: Yeah, that's interesting, and I think there's two extremes here. I, I remember going to a friend's uh, Baptist church to hear a preacher for a revival. It was very interesting, and uh, he was from out of town, and he went on this rant about how if you only had enough faith in Jesus, you wouldn't need any of those antidepressant pills, right? Uh, and I went up and talked to him afterwards, and I said, well, you know, sometimes, forever, you know, maybe there's some other things we need. So that's one extreme. And the other one is, uh, whenever I have any kind of uncomfortable feeling, I go to the doctor and I talk with enough primary care physicians, they get this every day, probably 30 to 40% of their visits are about depression and anxiety, those kind of things. And so if somebody says, I'm restless, I'm kind of sad, I'm irritable, just don't feel like doing anything, I'm unhappy, kind of pessimistic about the state of the world, got a lot of stress, well, it's I need a pill, doc. And the doctors oftentimes will say, well, that may not fix everything. And, you know, when I first came into the field, Matt, when the newer brand of antidepressants were just being introduced, <clears throat> there was a lot of probably unrealistic hope that it would fix everything and uh, that it would, you know, make people better than well. And now I think we have a more balanced perspective. But what a lot of the doctors tell me is people don't want to make any kind of other changes in habits in their I was life. I
0: say, a pill can do some mm-hmm. stuff for uh, your general mood, but it can't make all your life decisions for you.
13: That's right. And, you know, when we're talking about, you know, there's a range like with a lot of these mental health conditions. So major depression where somebody's actually not able to function, pretty much every area of their life is undermined. Uh, They're thinking about death or about, you know, taking their own life. Uh, So so over 12 months, the prevalence of that is about 7%. So most people, fortunately, don't wind up at that category. There's another kind of category of uh, which is underestimated, like with women who have delivered a baby. So uh, postpartum depression probably happens, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood. The range is like from 6 to 20%, so as many as one-fifth of women that deliver wind up having some degree of postpartum, and that's biological, and, and that definitely needs some medication as well as counseling. And then, you know, some of us have this low-grade depression which is kind of always think about it's like a bad case of the flu that just won't go away where we can drag ourselves into work we just don't feel very good feel kind of lousy kind of like uh, Winnie the Pooh uh, the figure of Eeyore who's kind of negative all the time and sometimes you know some of those conditions are it's very necessary to have medication but others you know maybe we're looking maybe again like we said about anxiety I'm feeling in a a low mood and having the blues might be a sign that there's some other changes I need to make in my life. And I want to cite one study that just came out. It was a longer term study. So they followed actually this is a huge group of people in the in the sample. Two hundred and eighty plus thousand people were followed over nine years. So they did blood work, they did cardio exams, and they looked at lifestyle habits. They looked at seven habits. And they found a definite correlation with reduced depression. If people could reduce three of these habits, which would be smoking, uh, nicotine use, alcohol use, and then screen time and being sedentary, just sitting on our butt. So reduce those and then increase physical activity, healthy nutrition, get better sleep, and build up your social support network belonging. And isn't that interesting? So there was a significant change and the people that did those things, those seven factors, we can't do all of them. But I think that's that's good, more evidence that maybe we do need a medication for a while. And I always, I, I can't tell you every day, I, multiple times a day, I say, do you have a primary care doctor? Have you talked with your primary care doctor? Have you discussed this in detail? And a lot of people, you know, if we just get away from that idea, doc, I need a script. I don't have time to do all this other stuff. And I think our faith factors in here, Matt. But that's another part. Like, uh, again, depression is not going through spiritual dryness or darkness, uh, the dark night of the soul, like some people, like uh, you know, Mother Teresa went through. So this is something different. And there can be a spiritual reason. Like, I need to, you know, some of the spiritual writers will say maybe God is putting me through this test here to kind of purify me or cleanse me. I need to make some changes. I need to trust in God more. Uh, My confessor always asked me to pray the uh, litany of trust, you know, as part of my penance after confession. And I like that because it's, uh, you know, to turn to God, you know, even when I'm feeling like I don't want to do anything, I'm kind of looking at the future and I'm discouraged. Well, a prayer like that, the sacraments, you know, that can also help. But again, we don't want to go to the extreme like, well, if I only go to confession and mass and uh, pray every pray the rosary every day, then I won't be depressed. Everything will be God. perfect,
0: right? Yeah, that's yeah. like saying just become a Christian in general, and everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, yeah. that would be true if there weren't a crucifix staring at us front and center, right? Everywhere yeah. we turn as Catholics, because that's what it's really like. But it's fascinated me, uh, Kevin, as you're going through and saying the ways to, you know, sort of combat uh, com- uh, depression der- f- through natural means. Right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are, are things like You know, stop drinking, stop spending so much time in front of screens, uh, Mm -hmm. eat better, uh, right, and uh, get out there in the world and be more with people instead of being, you know, kind of, like, detached and digitized and individualized. Well, what it it seems like every single one of those things is stuff that, like, culturally and as consumers, Mm -hmm. we're being pushed in the exact opposite direction on, right? We're being pushed towards more alcohol use, more screen time, worse
13: food. Yeah, and and these are very difficult changes to make, and I had one primary care physician, you know, he kind of scoffed, like, you know, I tell people about lifestyle changes and nobody wants to do it. I get one out of a thousand of my patients who actually want to change any one of those. So it's very difficult, and I think that's where prayer comes in. You know, God, help me to see one little thing in my life that I can make a change that would improve, you know, my body, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and might help my mood and my mind. And I may not be afraid uh, or ashamed of going to get professional help to get some outside assistance if I need that. So, again, we've talked about this, that maybe lifestyle changes plus medication plus counseling. And a lot of your listeners are saying, well, that's all well and good. I understand what you're saying. I just don't have the time for that. Well, that's really not true. We've all got you know 168 hours every week. So what I have to look at in my life, I look myself in the mirror, is I don't have my priorities in the right order. So do I want to continue to be miserable, which I can choose to do, right? Um, Most people are about as happy as they make up their mind to be. But realize that some of us have a predisposition to significant clinical depression that needs to be treated, and we probably need multiple tools to address that rather than just a pill is going to make me better the convenient way. So it's, it's really difficult, I think, if we have good spiritual advice, we'll use the sacraments. And we have frank conversations with our doctor. Certainly, if any of our listeners are thinking about a dying or a suicide, that's clearly a sign that we need more a higher level of help.
0: And you were yeah. talking about that over the past few weeks yeah. as well, Yeah, uh, noting those signs. Uh, Kevin Pendergast, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Hopefully, some of the people listening right now who may be in that zone, that gray area, uh, can maybe think about some of these life changes and apply them. All right.
13: Good. Thanks, Matt. Take care.
0: Alright, we'll be back here in just a little bit with another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show. For many of you listening across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, you can find Kevin Prendergast as well as all the guests we talked to linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. If you click on the show notes, you can actually see a video live stream embedded right there in those show notes themselves. Back right after this, it's three minutes before the hour. It is Thursday the 12th of October, it's the Feast of Blessed Carlo Acutis. Let's pray a prayer for his intercession today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Blessed Carlo, you knew the power of technology and used it to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. You also knew the dangers of technology and were intentional in your efforts to guard your heart against them. You used the gifts you had in this world to bless others through radical charity, through seeing Christ in the face of those ignored by society, through the witness of friendship, and through your natural aptitudes with technology. In our world so broken by abuses of technology and which so often ignores, or attacks human dignity. Please intercede for us to God the Father so that we may see the human dignity of everyone we encounter and ask for guidance from the Lord whenever we may be tempted to violate that dignity in our online interactions. Blessed Carlo Acutis, pray that we may treat our ever-evolving connections with developing technology as an opportunity to see the grace of God at work, even in the complexities of our modern world. Amen. Blessed Carlo Acutis, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being along on a Thursday. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Ackman at the controls. And up this hour, we will check in with Dr. Leonard DiLorenzo. He's got a book called A God Who Questions. We'll dig into that with him. Rita Heikenfeld will discuss coriander on Bible foods. Maybe you've got some of that in your pantry and did not realize that it's connected to actually the Israelites, and their travels in the desert. Gary Machuda has more uh, to discuss from his book, The Gospel Truth, which is all about the reliability of the gospel narratives in the New Testament. And then Courtney Brown uh, from, pardon me, from Rua Woods, is going to discuss Theology of the Body curriculum for kindergarten, really laying that, uh, that foundation for what it means to be a human being from an early age so that the other stuff down the road makes more sense. Two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell.
1: Good morning. The White House is confirming at least 22 Americans have been killed and 17 remain missing following Hamas' attack on Israel over the weekend. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said those numbers could rise and a number of Americans are also being held hostage by Hamas. Kirby said the administration is doing all it can to try to locate the missing Americans. Pope Francis, meanwhile, has called on Hamas to release all of the hostages they have taken. Speaking to the faithful at his weekly general audience yesterday in St. Peter's Square, the Holy Father said, also said Israel does have a right to defend itself. Still, he said he was very worried by the total siege that Israel has placed on the Gaza Strip where there have been so many innocent victims. More than 2,000 people have been killed in the conflict so far, and Hamas is believed to be holding about 150 hostages. Pope Francis said, quote, The Middle East does not need war but peace, a peace built on justice, on dialogue, and on the courage to be fraternal, end quote. The Holy Father also appealed for solidarity for the people of Afghanistan, who are suffering after several earthquakes in the past week. From Vatican Radio, Francesca Merlo reports.
2: In his appeal, Pope Francis expressed concern for the Afghan people, highlighting the immense human toll that these natural disasters have caused, with thousands of lives lost, including a significant number of women and children. The Pope also acknowledged the plight of the displaced persons who have been left in the wake of this calamity. <laughs> I address a special thought to the people of Afghanistan who are suffering in the aftermath of the devastating earthquake that has struck causing thousands of victims, including many women and children and displaced persons, the pope said in his appeal. An earthquake which struck on the eighth of October had a magnitude of seven point six on the Richter scale, making it a significant and destructive seismic event. It occurred in the northern region of the country, near the Hindu Kush mountain range, causing widespread devastation. The quake's epicenter was located in a remote and mountainous area, which has further complicated relief efforts. Many villages in the vicinity were either severely damaged or completely obliterated. This disaster has left thousands of people dead, injured, or missing, and it has forced countless others to flee their homes in search of safety. Urgent humanitarian aid is needed for food, clean water, medical supplies, and shelter. On Wednesday, another 6.3 magnitude earthquake shook western Afghanistan in Herat province. Pope Francis has called upon everyone to unite and contribute to the relief and recovery efforts in Afghanistan. I invite all people of goodwill to help this people already so sorely tried, contributing in a spirit of fraternity to alleviate the suffering of the people and to support the necessary reconstruction.
3: reconstruction.
2: I am Francesca Merlo. The United Auto Workers
1: strike is adding more members to the picket lines. The union tweeted yesterday that 8,700 members at Ford's Kentucky truck plant are joining the strike Large F-series pickups are made at that plant, which are one of Ford's more profitable vehicles. Union workers have been picketing against Ford, GM, and Stellantis for more than a month now. Meanwhile, talks between Hollywood Studios and the Actors Union have been suspended after negotiations broke down yesterday. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which represents the studios, says the two sides are just still too far apart. That strike has been going on for three months now. In Washington, House Republicans are nominating Majority Leader Steve Scalise to be the next Speaker of the House. Mark Mayfield reports.
4: The Louisiana lawmaker secured the nomination 113-99 to in a closed-door Republican conference meeting yesterday, defeating Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan. Scalise will now take his candidacy to the House floor, where he'll need to win the support of the majority of the chamber to take control of the gavel. This comes after Kevin McCarthy was ousted from the Speaker's chair last week. I'm Mark Mayfield.
1: New safety requirements are being issued for infant rockers. Eleven infant deaths have been associated with the rocking reclining seats in the past decade. Yesterday, the Consumer Product Safety Commission voted to move forward with new proposed regulations that aim to reduce the risk of injuries. The recommendations would require rockers to be flatter and firmer to prevent children from suffocating or tipping over. And the Arizona Diamondbacks completed a three-game sweep of the Los Angeles Dodgers with a 4-2 victory in Game 3 of the NL Division Series yesterday. Arizona now advances to its first National League Championship Series appearance since 2007. Their opponent is yet to be determined. The Philadelphia Phillies trounced the Atlanta Braves 10-2 yesterday. The Braves will visit the Phillies for Game 4 of their NLDS Today. Meanwhile in Minnesota, the reigning champion Houston Astros punched their chick- ticket to the ALCS for the seventh straight year with a three two win over the Twins. They will now take on the Texas Rangers in the ALCS.
0: I thought you said the Houston Astros punched a chicken. I was like they Well add that to the list of things that people are upset with about the Houston Astros over.
1: I gotta get my tongue in order. Apparently I meant to so. say ticket. You punch a ticket.
0: I would hope so. Would that ticket ever do, do to they you? still? That's what punch, I want to know.
1: You know what, actually, this phrase punch a ticket is probably not going to be one that is used much. Is it, 10 are you years about to say this now? is
0: one that the young people don't understand? The
1: young people don't understand that.
0: You know, we had something like this uh happen the other day, so we were recording an episode of On the Journey and uh Ken Hensley was saying something about Sola Scriptura because Ken was a Baptist pastor and, right, you know, right. reflecting on, you know, how scriptures would have developed before there was anything like a printing press. He's like, it's not like Paul told Timothy to go down to Kinko's and go run off, you know, a few hundred what? copies of this letter and then send it to whatever. I'm like, Ken, I don't know that Kinko's is around anymore.
1: They are, but they're They're few and far between. They're like merged with FedEx. Right, they're I like- knew that, but... If you go to a FedEx location, it's also a Kinko's a lot of times. I, never, yeah.
0: I can't remember the last time I saw like a Kinko's. I have special.
1: a. This is I like. If I used I need to, print to print out print...
0: band flyers all the time at Kinko's. Like, hey, <laughs> can you well, cut that's this still where four? you do
1: it when you don't want to use up too much of your own printer ink.
0: I suppose so. You can
1: go to Kinko's. That's funny. Yeah, but probably lots of kids don't know what Kinko's is. Done it. Anyway. Today, Thursday, October the 12th. Speaking of kids, man. Feast of Blessed Carlo Acutis, who was just a kid when he died, but now the first millennial to be raised to the altars. Blessed Carlo Acutis, pray for us. It's nine past. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Leonard De Lorenzo with the McGrath Institute for Church Life at Notre Dame. He's host of the Church Life Today podcast and is author of many books, including one we're discussing today, A God Who Questions. Dr. De Lorenzo, welcome back. Good morning, Annie. So in this book, you examine uh, a number of questions that Jesus asks throughout the Gospels. And obviously, in context, he's asking these of specific people who are present there with him in the moment but do they have any bearing on on those of us who are reading these stories a couple of thousand years later?
10: Well, I think, of course, they do. I think, you know, the encounter that we have with Christ in the gospel is meant to a, to be an encounter directly with us. So though we are reading oftentimes about his encounter with others, we're given these episodes and these, these events so that we can place ourselves in them, sometimes as the addressee of his question, sometimes as the ones who are listening in, who have to see what is going on and see the sort of revolution of perspective that is taking place. And in fact, I think what we ought to do in the gospel is allow ourselves to be moved around by what's taking place. These questions ought to enter into our own hearts and minds, but they also should sometimes disturb and sometimes stretch our own assumptions and commonplace thinking.
1: What got you tuned in to the questions of Jesus in the first place, and why do you think they should pique our interest?
10: I think the first question that really caught me was the one that comes at the beginning of the Gospel of John. In fact, these are the very first words that Jesus speaks in John's Gospel. Mm. He turns behind him. There are two disciples of John the Baptist following him, and he says, what are you looking for? That's fairly remarkable if we think about it, because, of course, the gospel of John is the one that begins in the beginning was the word and the word is with God and the word was God and the word we hear about until it takes flesh and dwells among us. And then that word is named Jesus. And so when he speaks words, what we're hearing is the word of God echoing in and through our humanity. And the very first thing that he says in that gospel is what are you looking for? Now that is addressed, as you were saying before, you know, to these two disciples who are following after him. But it's also addressed to each of us when we approach him, when we come to him, let's say when we enter into the gospel, the question of what are we looking for is presented to us. It's a question that I believe our God asks, we could say earnestly, really Mm -hmm. cares about what we're looking for. But it's also a way of us examining our own motives. What are we really looking for? What are we willing to find? What are we willing to be confronted by, to be comforted by, to be challenged by? Mm -hmm. And so that question really started me. And then what I did is over... Uh, a Lent and then an, uh, a period of Advent, and I think maybe even another one. I took one of these questions each day or every couple of days, and I tried to reflect on them and to see what was going on. And that was really the Genesis of this little book.
1: Oh, speaking of Genesis, Doctor De Lorenzo, <laughs> you uh, you reflect on the Book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. In your introduction, um, the first question from God recorded in Scripture, I find it interesting, actually. I went back um, and started reading Genesis chapter 3 and, uh, well, the whole beginning of Genesis, and I believe that the very first question asked, um, recorded anyway, in Scripture is actually from from the serpent mm-hmm. in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, when he asks the woman, did God say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? A, a question that's meant to, to bring about confusion and and division. But then the first question from God comes a few verses later in in verse nine. I, I'm going to read here from from verse eight. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, what does this bring about in, in your mind about the point of questions that God asks in Scripture?
10: I believe this question we could say is the beginning of salvation history. So in Mm -hmm. response to our sin, and as we heard there, sin has to do with hiding from God, Mm -hmm. turning away from God. In the very garden that was created for us, where everything is given as a gift, including those trees that are fruit-bearing, we in our shame and guilt, having tried to seize the initiative from God, go and hide ourselves from Him. But rather than leave us to languish in our isolation in our loneliness and our guilt, God comes in search of us. Where are you? Now we could think we're playing hide and seek and God just doesn't know where we are and wants us to be found. But we could also think about this. And I think we should in a deeper, much more existential sense. Who is lost here? Well, the man and the woman are lost to themselves. They have lost who they are. They have lost their perspective. They have lost their innocence and transparency. They are covered up and hiding and rather then leave us there to feel the full effects of that. Our Lord and our God comes in search of us to ask us to present ourselves to him, such as we are in our guilt and our shame, begging for a confession, in fact, that is slow uh, in coming. But the initiative we can hear here is on God's part. He's the one that comes in search of us. And what I suggest at the very beginning of this book is that Jesus is the question. Now we hear often that Jesus is the answer, but I'm saying Jesus is the question in person, incarnate, He is the searching of God. He is that question: "Where are you?" Come directly to us to address each one of us,
1: and hopefully, we can be found here. What do you hope that people get um, take away from from reading this book, Doctor De Lorenzo?
10: Well, as you said earlier, you know we often don't want to be made uncomfortable, but I think one of the things that ought to happen to us when we approach Scripture is that we should be made uncomfortable, or let's put it this way, we shouldn't find just exactly what we're looking for. If we're really presenting ourselves to the Lord and allowing him to encounter us, we should expect more than we anticipated finding. And I think the questions of Jesus are one of the ways to get us off of our balance a little bit, to allow us to have a more genuine and authentic encounter with the Lord, to examine our own motives, to examine our own assumptions, and to reach toward him as he is not just as we imagine him to be.
1: Well, as a person who asks questions for a living, I both (laughs) love and hate this idea at the same time. (laughs) I like asking the questions. I don't like being asked the questions. But I am looking forward to diving into this book and uh, reflecting on these questions along with you, Dr. DeLorenzo. The book is called A God Who Questions... And you can find Dr. Leonard DeLorenzo linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Really appreciate your time this morning and uh, look forward to talking again next time. Thank you.
10: Thank, thank you.
1: All right. It's 17 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this.
4: Support is from Solidarity Health Share.
1: Do you
14: have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs?
15: Join Solidarity Healthshare, a faith based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844 334 3245. That's 844 334 3245. Solidarity Healthshare. 844 334 3245.
0: We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee.
1: That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission.
0: While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store.
1: Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com.
0: Speaking with Deacon has Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers and Mark Griffin discussing strategies that will empower us to announce the gospel of the Lord daily through our words and deeds. You can hear Speaking with Deacon as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free at EWTN Podcast Central. Visit EWTNradio.net slash podcasts today. 19 passed. Here's Anna with headlines.
1: The White House is confirming at least 22 Americans were killed and 17 are missing following Hamas's attack over the weekend on Israel. Pope Francis, during his general audience yesterday, called on Hamas to release all hostages that they've taken. And in his catechesis during the general audience, the Holy Father continued his series on apostolic zeal. Focusing this time on the example of St. Josephine Bakhita.
0: News at the top and bottom of each hour, every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And you know, as you and Dr. De Lorenzo were talking, uh, I was trying to remember the exact phraseology, but uh, something that I used to hear sometimes in my Sola Scriptura background, my Bible alone, evangelical mm-hmm. formation. Uh, and uh, it's not a hard and fast rule, but it could still kind of apply to us as Catholics, and that is that... You know, you don't cross-examine the scriptures. The scriptures cross-examine you, uh, as it were. Uh, Which isn't to say you shouldn't study and examine the scriptures. Right. But the idea is that you can get so far into the idea of studying the scriptures that you forget to let the scriptures study you.
1: It's a both-and. It's
0: a both-and.
1: You gotta understand the context before you can really see how it actually applies to you. Because otherwise, you're just, like, playing Bible roulette.
0: Yeah. Just because you can stitch it in a pillow doesn't mean it's true. Chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy.
1: And when you go to the monks through sunrisemorningshow.com we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy.
0: Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store.
1: Get a mug and
11: link to Mystic Monk coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com This past year has been a a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. By underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe, who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com.
17: Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, Pastor of St. Lawrence. Pray with me now the praises of Mary by Saint Anthony of Padua. The praises of Mary. Oh how wondrous is the dignity of the glorious Virgin. She merited to become the mother of him who is the strength and beauty of the angels and the grandeur of all the saints. Mary was the seat of our sanctification, that is to say, the dwelling place of the Son who sacrificed himself for us. And I shall glorify the place where my feet have stood. The feet of the Savior signify his human nature. The place where the feet of the Savior stood was the Blessed Virgin Mary, who gave him his human nature. Today, the Lord glorifies that place since he has exalted Mary above the choirs of the angels. That is to say, the Blessed Virgin, who was the dwelling of the Savior, has been assumed bodily into heaven. Amen.
0: It is time for Bible Foods with Rita Heikenfeld from abouteating.com. It's a great place to find lots of excellent recipes, very practical and doable recipes from Rita, but also to share some of your own recipes if you get inspired by anything we talk about in this segment. Rita, good morning.
5: Well, good morning, my friend.
0: All right, coriander. People are going to probably be a little surprised where this shows up in the Old Testament if they're not familiar with this passage already.
5: Oh, yeah, and it's in Exodus in um, 16, and it's a pretty familiar passage, at least to me and to you, and the food became known as manna, meaning, what is it? It was white like coriander seed and flat and tasted like honey bread. So what that tells me is coriander, um, it's, it's an ancient, ancient spice, of course, and it's really the seed of the cilantro plant. Um, and they're different. You can't use them interchangeably. Coriander, as I said, is the seed, and that has sort of a lemony taste to my palate. And then uh, cilantro has a, more of a citrusy taste. And cilantro, the leaves are—you either love it or you don't. Uh, There's—I don't think there's any in between. Um, but anyway, uh, when we're talking about coriander, it really has a lot of um, good benefits, like iron and magnesium. And um, they say, my research showed that it may even help reduce acidity in the body. Now, I use coriander in marinades and with root vegetables. But here's the deal. If you buy whole coriander seeds, Matt, just save some because they'll be viable enough to plant even a year or so from now. And here's another thing I found out, and I think you and I have talked about this before. Coriander seed is so viable that the seeds found in Egyptian tombs were still able to sprout thousands of years later.
0: So that means that if you plant some cilantro in your garden, but you don't use the whole pack, it's okay to save that pack for next year.
5: Yep, sure is.
0: Or, you know, plant it in your windowsill year-round, depending on what kind of window situation you've got. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're also talking today about another very familiar Middle Eastern spice. I just used some earlier this week on uh, a homemade rub for some ribs I did in the oven.
5: Oh, that sounds good. Well, you're talking about cumin, and we call it Um uh, Mentioned, oh gosh, uh, another familiar uh, passage in Matthew in 23, talking about the tithing herbs, um, which included mint and dill and cumin. And then uh, when I was, again, researching this, Matt, the, what I found was the oldest reference to cumin dates back at least 5,000 years. And it was used um, when, as a mummification ingredient for the bodies of the pharaohs. And, you know, I don't think anybody knows that whole recipe, but I think it's fascinating that cumin was even included. We think of it as a culinary herb for sure. And like you said, you use it um, as a rub in ribs. It's used in curries and chili powders. And when we make our kibbeh and tabula, we always include cumin. Um, And the benefits, it's got some iron and antioxidants. So both of those spices are wonderful to use.
0: Yeah, cumin is just, it's got such a distinctive smell as Mm -hmm. well. So, I mean, you can always tell when someone's cooking with cumin for sure. And chili is certainly one of the places where I use it as well now you 've got um, some thoughts on uh, the, the, the the timeline of how long you keep this stuff, and you 've also got a chicken thigh with cauliflower and carrots recipe.
5: Oh yeah, well, first of all, cumin um, it reminds me when I open my uh, container of my mom 's kitchen does smell wonderfully aromatic. Um, it lasts a good year after uh, you open the container coriander, not so much Matt I think um It just doesn't seem to to stay as long. And if when you open the container and and if a lemony fragrance doesn't waft out, it's not going to flavor your food. I keep my coriander in the freezer. Um, And the recipe that I'm sharing, I I know it's one that you'll love. And it has a little bit of a different take. Um, It's called chicken and uh, high-roasted slash chicken thighs with cauliflower and carrots. And... um, They're bone-in chicken thighs um, with the skin on. And I'll take and make a couple slashes just through the top of the skin so the marinade can soak through. And um, I add some carrots and cauliflower. And, of course, I'll have the whole recipe on abouteating.com. But my marinade is so easy, olive oil, lemon juice, cumin, coriander, salt, and pepper. And what I do is I'll take a 9-by-13 pan mat. And the carrots, you want to slice them not more than a half inch thick because they, they take longer to cook. They stay fairly firm. So I put those in the, um, around the inside edges, and then I'll put the cauliflower all around, and then the chicken on top. And then you roast that at 475 for about 45 minutes or so. My gosh, so delicious, easy, um, and the chicken gets so crisped up. And if you love crispy skin, you're going to love that recipe.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at this and thinking how I might modify it for like an air fryer or a crock pot. Of course, crock pot you would not get the crispy chicken uh, skin, but uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of ways. And that that lemon and coriander is great. If you've never done, I mean, sometimes when I roast carrots just by themselves, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my secret ingredient is uh, is is usually lemon or coriander um, to bring out like a little citrusiness to the to the carrots there.
5: That sounds really good. And, two, as I said, the carrots, they seem to take longer to roast than many vegetables. That's why I cut them about half-inch slices and put them on the outside edges because heat in the oven works its way in from the outside edges in um, in a pan. So that's a good tip.
0: Everybody who's ever done a lasagna knows that, right?
5: <laughs> Crunchy <sure>. edges.
0: <laughs> and then you get it out and you're like, "Yeah, the middle of this isn't done. My goodness. All right, well, we've got that uh, recipe for your high-roasted slash chicken thighs with cauliflower and carrots linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. I'm sure that there are people who are already thinking about the variations they want to try on this. Rita, have a wonderful day, and we'll talk to you soon.
5: Yep, I'll talk to you next week, Matt.
0: See, good practical stuff. You know, I look at some recipes from some food sites, and I'm like, yeah, I'd make this if it took me, if I had four hours to spare today to work on food. Rita's practical. She knows what you're living through. She's there to help. It is half past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news.
1: Good morning. The Biden administration is facing calls to freeze $6 billion in Iranian assets as Israel is at war with Hamas. The funds were recently freed up as part of a deal to secure the release of an American detained of Americans detained in Iran. Republicans this week have called on the administration to put a hold on those funds again following Hamas's attack on Israel, saying there's a risk that money could be used against Israel in the conflict. Several Senate Democrats, including Senators Sharon Brown, John Tester, Joe Manchin and others, are now backing those calls for the administration to claw back the assets. The president, meanwhile, says the U.S. is doing everything it can to bring Americans taken hostage by Hamas in Israel back home. Mark Mayfield reports.
4: That's what President Biden told a roundtable of Jewish leaders at the White House Wednesday while speaking on the war. He added that the U.S. is committed to ensuring Israel has what it needs to defend itself. The president called the Hamas attack on Israel over the weekend the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust. At least 22 Americans have been killed in the conflict and 17 are missing. It's not clear at this time how many Americans are being held hostage. I'm Mark Mayfield.
1: The Catholic News Agency reports that Caritas Jerusalem has suspended its operations in Gaza. The Secretary General of Caritas, Alistair Dutton, announced that the organization has been forced to suspend its activities for security reasons, but, quote, has prepared an emergency plan to offer assistance as soon as the situation allows. Meanwhile, Pope Francis has called on Hamas to release all of the hostages they've taken. They're believed to be holding around 150 of them. During his general audience yesterday, the Pope said, terrorism and extremism do not help reach a solution to the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians, but feel hatred, violence, and revenge, causing suffering to both sides. The Holy Father also had prayers for the victims of the earthquakes taking place in the past week in Afghanistan. The Holy Father said, I invite all people of goodwill to help this people already so sorely tried, contributing in a spirit of fraternity to alleviate the suffering of the people and to support the necessary reconstruction. For his general audience catechesis, the Pope continued his series on saints who exemplify apostolic zeal, focusing this time on St. Josephine Bakita. From Vatican Radio, Deborah Castellana-Luboff reports.
14: St. Josephine Bakhita, with her example, Pope Francis says, shows us the way to finally be free of our slavery and fears, to unmask our hypocrisies and selfishness, to reconcile with ourselves and find peace in our families and communities, and offers us a light of hope in these difficult times of mistrust and distrust of others. Recalling the saint's origins in martyred Sudan, he said, Sadly, for months, Sudan has been torn apart by a terrible armed conflict about which little is said today. Let us pray for the Sudanese people that they may live in peace. In spite of unspeakable suffering, the Holy Father insisted, Saint Paquita's fame crossed all borders and reached all those who were denied identity and dignity as he urged faithful to be inspired by the powerful witness of Saint Paquita. Born in Darfur, Sudan, the Pope recalled Josephine was kidnapped as a child and sold into slavery. Despite the violence and terrible sufferings she endured, he observed, she never despaired. The Holy Father recalled how the crucifix, Stained her, noting that one day she was given a small crucifix, and she, who had never possessed anything, kept it as a treasure. In Christ's cross, the Holy Father suggested she discovered the source of a merciful love that affirms our innate dignity as God's children, brings true freedom, and enables us to forgive and indeed love those who wrong us. The life of St. Josephine Makita, he remembered, reveals the power of God's grace to transform lives, to resolve conflicts, and to bring about justice, reconciliation, and peace. So greatly needed in our time. Pope Francis concluded by encouraging faithful to join him in entrusting ourselves to her prayers and asking especially for the gift of peace for our brothers and sisters in war torn Sudan. I'm Zebra Castellano Lubov.
1: In Washington, House Republicans are nominating Majority Leader Steve Scalise to be the next speaker. The Louisiana lawmaker secured the nomination one thirteen to ninety nine in a closed door Republican conference meeting, defeating Ohio Congressman. Jim Jordan. Scalise will now take his candidacy to the House floor where he will need to win the support of the majority of the chamber to take control of the gavel. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes.
0: Click the Mystic Monk link at SunriseMorningShow.com.
1: That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com.
9: This is Father Rob Jack with the Heart of St. Paul. We like to be in control of things. We want things to happen according to our plans and the ways that we expect. That way we can have a pretty good idea about how things are going to turn out. Before his conversion, it's clear that Paul sought to exercise absolute control over his life. After his conversion, Paul learned something quite different from his teachers, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Our desire for control is based on our limited knowledge of things, our weaknesses, and are not wanting to be surprised. Paul learned through his life in the Lord that his desire for control can contradict the will of God. If we want to do God's will, then we must allow God to do things his way. Paul reminds the Corinthians, who also like to control things, that we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is not about taking a step into the darkness, but rather it is about taking a step into the light of Christ. At first, it's frightening to walk by faith because we must put ourselves in God's hands. But slowly, it becomes assuring to walk by faith. Our stepping into faith helps us realize just how dark the world was. And now how bright it is, because the light of truth from Christ illumines it. And this is what we learn from the heart of St. Paul. The Sunrise Morning Show continues.
0: I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Machuda from Hands-On Apologetics. We've been going through his book, The Gospel Truth, and looking at the reliability of the gospel narratives in the New Testament. Gary, good morning
18: morning, Matt.
0: So one of the things that you need to do if you want to verify a story is to establish witnesses, not just witnesses, but credible witnesses. You probably want an expert. You probably want a man on the street, right? And uh, you also want the reporter to know a little bit about how to process the information they're getting from both of those. So a little bit of analysis in the process, too. Do we have some of this going on in the Gospels? Yeah, uh,
18: well, in the Gospels, I mean... Well, I can say in the book, the Gospel set a really nice table if, in terms of uh, eyewitnesses, because you have those who are closest to Jesus, right? You have the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. Uh, then you have the wider 12, and then you have a larger group of disciples. Then you have the passers-by on the street. You also have people who hear about Jesus and come to, you know, they're curious. And, and then uh, you have... Uh, my favorite ones is the hostile witnesses those who actually uh, are trying to disprove or discredit Jesus so they're going to be looking critically at everything Jesus does so you know we have multiple layers of different kinds of witnesses different relationships with Jesus and on top of that you also have different locations and different venues and like I said it, it's um, it, in order to, to try to perpetrate a fraud or a hoax I, I think this type of environment is almost impossible.
0: Well, I just want to make sure that we call out the fact that you mentioned the name of another one of your books, Hostile Witnesses, right, how the (laughs) enemies of the Church (laughs) help show us what Christianity really is. I mean, this is kind of one of the things that happens over and over again, um, is that Jesus, we learn about what he's trying to teach us by the ways that he's challenged, and, you know, I, I think about this in terms of, you know, some of the apologetics debates that have been, out through the years, and it's interesting to look back and see who's willing to publish those debates. Usually the people who publish those debates are the people who feel like they did well in those debates, right? (laughs) If you don't feel like you did well in a debate, right, if you felt like you came off looking real bad, then why would you write about it?
18: Right, yeah, that's true. But you know, the odd thing about the Gospels is they're not afraid to to put in things that could possibly be damaging, or embarrassing, or something strange like that. Um, you know, for example, the Gospels speak about that there, there was a, a rumor started that the, the disciples stole the body. Well, if you're trying to promote Christianity and promote the resurrection, why would you supply a possible alternative explanation? You know, it, it doesn't make sense, but it does make sense if it actually happened. And it's kind of like the elephant in the room. You have to acknowledge that, yeah, there's this rumor around that the disciples stole the body.
0: You know, what's interesting, too, is that you mentioned these layers of witnesses, right? You 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 mentioned the inner circle of Peter, James, and John, the larger circle of the apostles. You've got the disciples who are just like anybody who's following them around. Then you've got the people who've been healed, uh, right? Then you've got the curious. Uh, then you've got, as you mentioned, those who are opposing Jesus. And then you've got people who just happen to be in the right place at the right time when this stuff was happening. Now, if you were trying to control the narrative, you might— have each story involve one of those groups at a time, uh, right? Right. so that you can sort of control yeah. it. But in fact, if these things are real, you can't control all those groups at the same time, which sort of leads more of a reliability to it that you've got all these people who have different levels of investment in what Jesus is doing and saying, who are all seeing the same thing and reacting in the ways that are sort of unique and appropriate to their relationship to the situation.
18: Right. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, if you compare this to something like Joseph Smith with Mormonism, it's funny how uh, whenever Joseph can control the environment, things go well. But whenever he, he puts out a prediction or something that he can't control, it almost always fails. You know, and I think that's that's probably a good baseline to look at this, that, you know, a lot of this is uncontrolled environments. There are rare occasions, like, for example, the Transfiguration where only three, you know, Peter, James, and John were present. But by and large, you know, it's different uh, layers of witnesses like you laid out in different combinations in different places, and all of that's uncontrolled. And yet, you know, with Jesus, it always rings true.
0: Well, and you you make an interesting um, comment, and and this is on page 71 of your book, after you've gone through a whole bunch of different charts that show examples of how this plays out. (laughs) You say something that— uh, that I haven't really thought of in this way in relation to the Gospels, right? I've thought about it this way in relation to modern news. But it says here, If four persons conspired to perpetrate a hoax by re- writing historical fiction about a miracle worker, it would have been in their best interest to make the story as unverifiable as possible. Now, I know this in the present day. If I'm le- reading through a news story and someone said, you know— uh, one person who decided not to tell you know, who wished to remain nameless, told me this. I'm like, well, you you could have just made that up yourself and, like, invented a person, right? <laughs> How can I verify right. something with someone yeah. who doesn't exist and you might have possibly met, made up? The You would think that if the apostles were making this up as a hoax, they would have made it to where nobody could even check on this stuff. But they don't. Right.
18: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it- obviously, you you want to make it difficult to verify, because hopefully people won't make the effort to verify, and you could get away with a lie. But, you know, uh, they specify that the places, the people, sometimes they name names. It's almost as if the Gospels dare you, you know, to verify this information. And a lot of this happens in small towns, and, you know, if you grew up in a small town, you know the memory in small towns lasts a long time, especially when something spectacular happens. And so, I mean, it would be preeminently verifiable. You could just ask anybody living in the vicinity, and they would have heard if, you know, someone was raised from the dead or was healed or had demons and they were cast out. Uh, it'd be really easy to verify something like that.
0: Well, and speaking of small towns, I mean, this is one of the most compelling uh, markers that shows you that, the Gospels were probably true, because who on earth, if they were trying to promote the cause of a miracle worker superhero claiming to be God, would say, oh, also he went back to his hometown and they made fun of him and so he couldn't do anything interesting there? (laughs) Like, who would include that if you're just trying to uh, puff up somebody's cause? Yeah.
18: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, and you have to ask yourself, well, why did they include it? And the answer is, well... Most likely, they included it because it happened, and and it's the elephant in the room. You have to acknowledge that, you know, that, that there were people in Jesus' hometown that didn't give him this, the credit that he deserved.
0: Yeah, and uh, even you know, issues like when he is before Pilate and uh, his refusal to say you know, these things, right, that he has been saying in public yeah. this whole time, like, this would be your chance to really stick it to the man, and you're know, just the odd ways that he restrains himself and the, the, the teachable moments that are just layered in mystery throughout. Gary uh, Machuda, if our listeners want to connect with you uh, through Hands-On Apologetics, maybe get a copy of your book, The Gospel Truth, and dig into some more of this to help really drive home this idea that we can trust the Gospels. Uh, how do they connect with you?
18: Yeah, you can go to the handsonapologics.com or you could get the book at stpaulcenter.com.
0: Linked at sunrise Gary Machuda, great to talk to you as always. And we'll catch you next time around. Absolutely. Thanks, Matt. All right, it's a quarter till. We're back with Courtney Brown from Rua Woods next.
8: Proud life It's
11: not over. Unplanned pregnancies still happen. I'm Marian Kowarski, Director of Pro-Life Across America. In my 30-plus years, I've never seen such a concerted attempt to silence our efforts and at a time when it's most needed. There's a powerful effort to prevent and block our pro-life messages. Our billboards, social media, and digital ads are all impacted. Our messages feature a hotline number connecting callers with more than 3,000 pregnancy support centers across America offering alternatives to abortion, free ultrasound, and pregnancy assistance. Babies' lives are being saved. The need still exists. It really does. And Pro-Life Across America needs your help. Please find us at ProLifeAcrossAmerica.org.
5: Did you know I could suck my thumb before I was born? Yep, we all started small.
9: The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio.
0: I don't like looking back. I prefer to look
10: forward and keep moving forward. There's plenty to cover. I do a lot of research and try to dig out
0: the bits and pieces of a life or of an agenda that people don't want to talk about.
3: The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. Tonight, 8 Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television.
0: 13 till, here's Anna with headlines.
1: The Biden administration is facing calls to freeze $6 billion in Iranian assets as Israel is at war with Hamas. Pope Francis has called on Hamas to release all of the hostages that they've taken. And in his general audience catechesis yesterday, the Holy Father continued his series on apostolic seal, focusing this time on the example of St. Josephine Paquita. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 12 till. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Courtney Brown, executive director of the Rural Woods Institute. You can check out their revealed curriculum, K-12 through Theology of the Body curriculum, over at their website, ruawoodsinstitute.org. Courtney, good morning.
8: Good morning, Anna. How are you?
1: I am doing great, thank you. And we are going to be getting some mini lessons with you uh, going through this curriculum for young students. And we're going to be starting with kindergarten today. So what theme or themes are highlighted from Theology of the Body in the kindergarten curriculum specifically?
8: So in our kindergarten program, the themes that we highlight specifically are creation is a gift. We have two two lessons on that, two lessons on original solitude, and then we go into an aspect of dignity of work, and then that my body is a gift as well. And so we kind of focus on how one of the major tenets of Theology of the Body is that we are our bodies, which is I know in today's culture, is somewhat of a profound statement, but in, in essence, what we're trying to do with the kindergartners is recognize the fact that they're a boy or a girl matters, and it reveals something of God and that their body is good. So those first two sessions on creation is gifts. We kind of walk them through the seven days of creation, and then the, we also talk through kind of like where they are in terms of the reference to how God loves them and their unique dignity and worth. from. just recognizing those seven days and then we kind of go into what jp2 in his work when he reflects on the beginning reflects on the three original experiences original solitude original unity and original nakedness well with the kindergartners we focus heavily on this understanding of original solitude which is why we bring in the literature to help them understand this concept which is big but when we talk about that first experience of Adam when it says he was walking alone Mm. in the garden Mm. uh, we we help the students kind of navigate that through the books blueberries with Sal yeah
2: yeah
1: mm. so this blueberries for Sal one of uh, two works of of children's literature that you use for the kindergarten curriculum it's a classic but there might be uh, a few people that uh, are not familiar so can you tell us the story of blueberries for Sal
8: Sure. So Blueberries for Sal sets out with this uh, little girl, Sal, who's walking with her mon- mother in a field picking blueberries. And as she's walking along and she's being curious and wonder, like, just like little kids would do, mm-hmm. and then she essentially walks away and mom's going further down the path and they get lost. And then there's another story, uh, well, another situation with a little bear and mother bear. And the same <laughs> exact thing with the little bear is walking in the blueberry patch with Mom and mom's telling her that before hibernation, you need to eat as many blueberries as possible. Well, they essentially get lost, and then they start to discover trying to find their moms again, and they see birds and recognize both Sal and the little bear, recognize that, oh, that's not my mother. And then Mm -hmm. through that, they eventually get mixed up, and then Sal ends up by mother bear, and mother bear turns around and says, you're not my little bear, right? And then same thing happens with the little bear with uh, Sal's mom. And then eventually they find mom and it's joyous and then the story. So the reason we choose that is because in the beginning, as JP2 talks about these two experiences, uh, well, it talks about original solitude and there's two aspects. One is as Adam is walking in the garden, he's recognizing that he is distinct and different Mm -hmm. from the other animals. And then also as he's walking in the garden, he also understands his relationship with God. So, Here we are trying to teach this to the students what we use this story for is to show as Sal is walking and recognizes the birds and realizes that I'm not a bird, that's not my mom, and all that stuff. So same with the little bear. So there's this experience of understanding who we are that's revealed in the body. So that's what that story is about, and that's how we use it. With the aspect of original solitude.
1: Wow, and you think too. I mean, what is the one thing that God says is not good? That man is alone, and so you have a, a child. I mean, I know it's not a scary story, but a child who is lost, looking, looking for for mom, and and that idea of of being lost, being alone, is ultimately not what what is meant for us.
8: That's correct. Yeah, that's really a good point too, and. And it's solitude isn't like that alone feeling where I'm lonely as much as it is a recognition that I made for the other yeah. and that we're made for relationship and you know there's also another activity we do with the students called um it's like what's in the name activity in one of the kindergarten books and what's fun about that particular situation is that um they actually reflect on the power of their name, you know and as Adam was walking through the garden and naming the animals he speaks of relationship and the creative power with god and one of the things that i found to be so profound about that with the kids is a lot of them don't even really ever think about wow my name and Mm. what's the power in saying that in recognizing someone and that they are a reflection of the love between their father and their mother and because of that love they have a name just like the trinity right like The love of the Father and the Son is so strong between those two. It is the person of the Trinity. So it's the kind of that's where we get that, um, in a way, that icon. The family becomes a certain type of icon of who the Father is and God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that activity is really cool for the kids to kind of just reflect on the power of their, their name and why it matters.
1: Yeah, and let's explore some of these other themes that, that can come out in Blueberries for Sal uh, in light of of the kindergarten curriculum here from Rua Woods. They're going out to pick blueberries, which are a gift from God, the gift of creation.
8: Yes, that's actually I'm, I'm, that's actually one of the things for our curriculum is to inspire that wonder, that hands-on feel, And the actual idea of like going out into a blueberry field, I know that's not in the most common experience of kids today. But when you do that and you bring them to nature, they do. They get this sense of awe and wonder and that that God is present in everything and that they can actually experience God in some of the most natural things. And it's interesting. I know this is kind of a digression, uh, but I was listening to uh, someone talk about how to overcome anxiety and stress and just some of these things that our teens and kids are focusing on in and, and the world are struggling with rather than not focusing on, but struggling with that stress and anxiety that nature has a way, bringing them out into the nature, getting them off of their phones and the technology has a way of sending healing and, and helping absolutely. them. Absolutely.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, a gift from the Lord in that regard, too. Just get out into nature and do some work. That's uh, just quickly, Courtney, The another theme that, that comes out here, the dignity of work.
8: That's exactly right. Uh, the dignity of work. That's something that I think that kids don't necessarily ever think about that, that you know, most of the time what they probably hear is people complain about work and people not really liking what <laughs> they're doing. Yeah. So this is showing them that, you know, God has designed us for that. And he also designed us for something important too, and it's called rest. Yes, so.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Read more about it in the revealed curriculum that you can find through RuawoodsInstitute.org, linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. We've been talking to Courtney Brown. Courtney, thank you so much. Look forward to next time.
8: Yes, yeah, same here. Thanks, Dana.
1: You bet. All right, that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. We'll look forward to talking to EWTN again tomorrow morning. Until then, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.